Some guys get more admiration than they deserve. Pro athletes who cheat and who are rude. Recording artists who should be in prison and not in a recording studio. Movie stars whose marriages last about as long as a box of Kleenex. Pastors who fill their own pockets and not God's heaven. In the Bible, there are several examples of admiration being misdirected. One of those examples is angels. If we admire angels to any degree, certainly that admiration must never exceed our admiration for the Lord Jesus Christ. I've been thinking this week about how it is that some Christians come to admire angels, praise angels, and in some cases even worship them. Perhaps it's because it's so easy for persons to traffic in speculations, rumors, and folklore. Speculations, rumor, and folklore that have it that angels carry you into heaven, or that angels protect us when God is busy. Folklore, speculations, and rumors that angels know who's naughty and nice, that angels are God's FedEx flying around delivering heaven's packages. Rumors, speculation, and folklore that angels are what nice people become after they die. Or angels have Jesus Christ as one of their own rank. The cult of the Jehovah's Witnesses believed that Christ was an archangel named Michael before the incarnation. Those are just some of the rumors, folklore, and speculation, and the error that can move even true Christians to inordinate, inappropriate admiration for angels over Jesus. And rumors, which are not sized up by the Bible, take on a life of their own, sort of like the young child who parents her parents. In the time of the New Testament, angels polarized religious persons. <laughs> they divided the Jewish religious elite like Junkanoo divides neighborhoods in Nassau. The Pharisees believed in angels, but the Sadducees didn't. And that made for some very awkward small talk at the religious parties thrown by religious people. What does Hebrews 1, verses 5 through 9, say about all this? We're going to find out. Are the rave reviews which some people have for angels spot on, or are they silly overkill? And so with first things first, compared with God, angels are a far distant second. God created angels. God expects and accepts worship from angels. God tells angels what to do and when. God speaks 
and angels only echo what he says. God determines the destinies of bad and of good angels. Compared to God, angels are a distant second, just like the woman running behind Shawnee Miller Yubo at the track meet. All this being said, there were and there still are persons who want to give more admiration to angels than they deserve. And we bump up against both some of their sincere but sincerely wrong thoughts and we bump up against some of God's good correctives that we find in Hebrews 1, 5 through 9. Let's read those verses together. Hebrews 1, 5 through 9. For to which of the angels did he ever say, Thou art my son? Today I have begotten thee. And again, I will be a father to him, and he shall be a son to me. And when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, and let all the angels of God worship him. And of the angels, he says, who makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the Son, he says, thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. And the righteous scepter is the scepter of his kingdom. Thou hast loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore God, thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above all thy companions. And so our first point in our outlines this morning, with respect to angels, Christ has a superior name. Verses four and five again having become as much better than the angels as he has inherited a more excellent name than they. That's Jesus. For to which of the angels did he ever say, Thou art my son. Today I have begotten thee, and again I will be a father to him, and he shall be a son to me. Jesus Christ's name relative to any angel's name, Jesus' name is superior. Apparently, to God, an excellent name is Son, S-O-N. He calls precious Jesus, Son. He never calls one angel, Son. Jesus' eternal name, as a matter of fact, is Son. And Jesus has had the name Son from eternity past, and Jesus will continue to have the name Son to eternity future. He keeps his name Son forever. It was at our Lord's water baptism that the name Son rang human ears that had hit when from heaven the Father audibly said, you, that is Jesus, are my Son in whom I am well pleased. Mark 1, verse 11. <laughs> the ears that day were ringing, the eyes that day were roving, and the hearts that day on the River Jordan bank were rejoicing. Jesus at that time was publicly and audibly and decisively 100% identified as the Son of God. 
And O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel was right then, right there at that river. Those who give undue admiration to angels might find it ironic, as I do, that it was an angel who told the Virgin Mary about the Son of God, miraculously going to be her baby. In Luke 1, 32 to 33, this is what the angel said to teenager Mary of Jesus. He will be great. It will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom will have no end. And so the Lord Jesus has always been God the Father's Son. And the Lord Jesus will always be God the Father's son. (laughs) I like to watch Judge Judy. I like her bright legal mind. I like her life experience. And I like how she puts litigants in their place. One of her sage remarks involves usually a young daughter who enters into an online dating relationship with a stranger, which is highly ill-advised women. And then within a month of knowing this guy online, she moves in to shack up with him in promiscuity and sin and moves out of state to abandon her mother and father. (laughs) Judge Judy will say, in 25 years from now, your mother will still be your mother. And in 25 years from now, you won't even remember that joker's face. In 25 years from now, the Lord Jesus Christ will be the Son of God. In 25,000 years from now, Jesus Christ will be the Son of God. In 2.5 million years from now, Jesus Christ will be the Son of God. And so... Maybe the best we can muster for angels, the best name at least, is messengers. The messengers. Jesus' name is superior, angels, because Jesus' name is not messenger. Jesus' name is son of God. And so the second point in our outlines is that with respect to angels, Christ has a superior honor. Verse 6. And when he again, the Father, when he again brings the firstborn, that's Jesus, into the world, he, the Father, says, and let all the angels of God worship him, Jesus. The Lord Jesus has superior honor. Angels bow down to him. The Lord Jesus does not bow down to any angel. And here in verse 6, we have a segment of a verse that certain cults 
try to say that Jesus did not exist forever in the past, but he came into existence because the phrase is, Jesus is called the firstborn. In the Greek here, this is not a reference to the firstborn in time, as if others born after him, but made him the firstborn in time. No, this in the Greek means as firstborn, Jesus Christ is first in importance. First in importance in heaven. First in importance on earth. Will be first in importance in eternity. First in importance. Let me try to illustrate When it comes to starting and running an automobile, gasoline is of the first importance. You can have spark plugs that are fine. You can have a radiator that is working well. But if you have no gas in your car, you're not starting it and you're not running it. You can have a fuel pump that's good. You can have engine electronics that are working. But if you do not have gas, you are not making it to the fish fry. Directly or indirectly, most all of the parts of a car engine need gasoline to work. Therefore, as important as the various parts of the car engine are, gasoline is of the first importance. The Lord Jesus Christ in this illustration is the gasoline of the universe. He is of first importance. This is why God the Father commands the angels to give the Lord Jesus Christ the highest honor. We call it worship. By the way, that's why we're here carving out these minutes every Lord's Day by Lord's Day, because we have chosen the prudence, the passion to come and to give Jesus Christ with others the first importance in our new week. And this is why God, the Father, commands that his angels give Jesus the highest honor. It's called worship. The one of first importance, deserves the highest honor, the worship of both angels and the redeemed on earth. Verse 6, and when he, the Father, again brings the firstborn, that is Jesus, the first in importance, into the world, and the Father says, let all the angels of God worship him, Jesus. There are plenty of things in God's beautiful creation that are important. But Christ, the creator of creation, is of first importance. Jesus' honor is superior to angels' honor. Honor accordingly. A third and a last point in our outlines, if you are following them, is that with respect to angels, Christ has a superior status. Verses 7 to 9. And of the angels, he, the Father, says, 
who makes the angels' winds and his ministers a flame of fire, but of the Son, Jesus, he says, Thy throne, O God. God the Father calls God the Son God. Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. And the righteous scepter is the scepter of his kingdom. Thou hast loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above all thy companions. The word status, as most of you would understand, I think, is just a proper designation. Status means to be properly designated. If you, like my wife and son, are living in the Bahamas on a resident visa, or if you are like me, living in the Commonwealth of the Bahamas with a work visa, then you, like us, are foreigners. That is our status. If you were once married and your husband has died or your wife has died, then your status is widow or widower. Status is just a proper designation. Other examples of status would be pensioner, diabetic, deacon, senior citizen, BFF, best friend forever. Jesus Christ, the son of God's status, according to these verses, is sovereign. Right in the middle of the word and concept sovereign is the word R-E-I-G-N, reign. That is what a potentate does. He or she reigns. A king or a queen reigns over a realm or a kingdom. A person is sovereign when they have a rule and a reign over a certain thing. Jesus Christ is God and he has been given reign, R-E-I-G-N, reign over everything. There is not an atom in his universe that he's not reigning and ruling over. There is not a molecule in your body that Jesus Christ is not ruling and reigning over. There is not a political situation, an economic situation, a parenting situation, a neighborhood relationship situation that Jesus Christ is ruling and reigning because he is sovereign. Contrast that with the status of angels. Nice angels, obedient angels, righteous angels. What's their status? Well, they're not sovereign. They're servants. Servants of the sovereign. They rule at the sovereign's pleasure. They serve at the sovereign's pleasure. <laughs> There's a big difference between a sovereign and a servant. <laughs> the queen of England lives an extremely different life than her cook. Verses seven to nine. And of the angels, he says, who makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire, but of the Son, 
He says, thy throne, O God, is forever and ever, and the righteous scepter is the scepter of his kingdom. And thou hast loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above all thy companions. Oh, yes, our Savior's status, according to these verses, is sovereign. And as sovereign, Christ has a throne, verse 8. As sovereign, Christ has a scepter, still in verse 8. As sovereign, Christ has a kingdom, still in verse 8. As sovereign, Jesus Christ is anointed, according to verse 9. And as sovereign, Jesus feels gladness, in verse 9. And so the good angels are servants, messengers of the sovereign whose name is Jesus. That's their status, servants and messengers. And in this passage, servants and messengers, also known as angels, worship their sovereign, according to verse 6. And angels as servants and messengers sometimes inhabit the wind and sometimes take residence up in the fire if their sovereign says so. Verse 7. Now in fairness, lest you accuse me of angel bashing, in fairness, it should be pointed out that angels don't compete with Jesus in the matter of being worshipped. They know better. They know who's on the top rung of heaven's ladder. And they've seen what happened to Lucifer when he grabbed for the top rung. And so, in fairness to angels, they won't compete with Jesus for worship. In fact, we have occasion to see in Scripture that an angel rejected human worship when it was offered to the angel. In the last chapter of the Word of God, in Revelation chapter 22, verses 8 to 9, the vision, the revelation, by the way, it's not the book of Revelations, it's the book of Revelation, it's a unity. The revelation is one uh, revelation that John received on the Isle of Patmos in his late 80s as the bishop, exiled there as persecuted part of the church on this rocky, uninhabitable island called Patmos. And near the end of this glorious and fearful and encouraging vision that God's angel was dispatched to give to this old bishop on this terrible island in isolation and loneliness, Near the end of this vision, John kind of makes a mistake. He kind of gets carried away in his emotions. And he says in 22, verses 8 and 9, And I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed me these things. John was so carried away probably so exhausted, emotionally exhausted, mentally exhausted, that he made a mistake. 
and he bowed down to worship the angel who had brought to him God's revelation. And I love what the angel did. Verse 9, John reports, And he, the angel, said to me, Do not do that. I am a fellow servant of yours and of your brethren, the prophets, and of those who heed the words of this book. Worship God. (laughs) Worship God. The angel understood. (laughs) The angel didn't say, boy, that sounded nice. I kind of like that worship. He said, worship God. (laughs) I'm a fellow servant with you. We're both fellow servants of God that he is using to serve the ancient churches in Asia Minor. Worship God. And so Jesus, precious Jesus' status, is superior to the angel's status, so much superior. It's almost like that angel in Revelation 22, if John would have sought to pray to him, would have shook his little angel head and pointed his little angel wing to God and said, pray to the one who made me and the one who saved you. Pray to the one who answers prayers, not to the one who's just told what to do and I do it. And if we are theologically unwise enough to worship angels, at least the angels are theologically wise enough not to accept it. And so really it's a slam dunk The Lord Jesus Christ is superior in name, superior in honor, superior in status to angels. And this is Christologically, eternally, definitely true in the face of the rumors and the nonsense you hear like I do, that angels carry us to heaven, protect us when God is busy, Know who's naughty and nice. That they're God's FedEx. They fly around delivering heaven's packages. That they are what nice persons become when they die. Boy, that's a dilly. And as the Jehovah's Witnesses have said in heresy, as a cult, to believe that Jesus Christ is one of the ranks of angels, is blasphemy. All of these inaccuracies I rattled off cause some people to give angels more admiration than they deserve because the one who deserves all of the admiration that we can intellectually, emotionally, volitionally muster is Jesus. He's the one. Jesus deserves the admiration we can give him on earth and later and forever. Jesus deserves the perfect admiration we can give him in glory. And that will be in glory admiration that is infinite. An admiration without boundary or end. Whereas now on earth, Because of our finite minds, our admiration for the Lord Jesus is incomplete knowledge now. 
But one day when we see him face to face through physical death or the rapture of the church, faith will become sight and we will be made to be like him. And when that happens, our knowledge of the Lord Jesus' person and his work will be complete, perfect. And we will sing, we're the whole realm of nature mine. That will be an offering far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul my life, my all. Of course, we don't have to wait to heaven to sing that to Jesus. In fact, we should be singing that to Jesus often here. You know, Brother Ike has been blessed with 98 years. Not many people have that many years granted to them. But however many years God has for the believer in Christ, those years on earth are a dress rehearsal for heaven. We ought to be living now in the dress rehearsal with the facts that our Lord Jesus Christ has a superior name, that he has a superior status, that he has a superior honor. All hail the power of Jesus' name. Let angels prostrate fall. Bring forth the royal diadem and crown him Lord of all. Some of you are perhaps familiar with the large, multi-million dollar conglomerate corporation called Borden. Borden milk products and Borden other food products. Borden. Maybe what you do not know is that William Borden, or Bill Borden, was born into that privileged and wealthy Borden family. He was a direct heir of the Borden fortune. When Bill was about seven, his mother was marvelously saved from sin, and it totally revolutionized Mrs. Borden's life and her rearing of her children. She moved the family along with Mr. Borden to the Moody Memorial Church in Chicago, a church that remains a fine Bible-believing and teaching and preaching church in America. And it was at the Moody Memorial Church that a seven-year-old Bill Borden, when he heard his pastor Reuben A. Torrey give an altar call for those who would serve Jesus Christ wherever Jesus Christ sent them around the world, he stood up in his uh, sailor suit as a seven-year-old and he said, I will do that. And he never wavered. In time, Bill's focus on world mission became more sophisticated. Eventually, he entered Yale 
and studied there and graduated from the prestigious Ivy League University. It was there that Bill was involved in the student volunteer movement. In one of their meetings while at Yale, Bill learned that there were 15 million Muslims in Northeast China. Think how many there are now. This was at the beginning of the 20th century. Anyway, Bill learned at one of these missions gatherings that there were 15 million Muslims in Northeast China, and at that time, not a single missionary had gone to reach them for Christ. That night, in the privacy of his own heart, Bill Borden, next in line for the Borden family dairy business and wealth, committed himself before God to reach Chinese Muslims for Christ. After graduating from Yale, Bill went on to Princeton Seminary. There he became influential as a very young Christian evangelical leader, serving on approximately 10 boards of mission boards or other Christian organizations. Around that time, Bill Borden joined the China Inland Mission and set sail for Cairo, Egypt, to study Arabic before going to China. Unfortunately, soon after, he contracted cerebral meningitis and became seriously ill And suffering greatly for a few weeks, he died April 1913 at the age of 25 years old. Bill never made it to China. And he left the monetary fortune of almost $1 million to various home and foreign missions agencies in his will. Back in 1913, I'm not for sure, but I believe that $1 million probably was more like five to $7 million today. Bill had his house in order. Bill acknowledged the superior name, honor, and status of the Lord Jesus Christ and left all of the estate he would inherit someday to born-again Christian mission agencies. Bill Borden, even in his 20s, understood that Jesus Christ's name was superior to his name, Borden. And even in his 20s, Bill Borden understood that Jesus Christ's honor was superior to any honor Bill Borden could earn as a Yale graduate and a Princeton Seminary graduate. Back even when he was in his 20s, Bill Borden understood that Jesus Christ's status was superior to any status he might have as a millionaire. I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather be his than have riches untold. 
I'd rather have Jesus than houses or land. I'd rather be led by his nail-pierced hands than to be the king of a vast domain, to be held in sin's dread sway. I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords today. Jesus Christ, relative to angels, has a superior name. Jesus Christ, relative to honor, compared with angels, has a superior honor. Jesus Christ, relative to angels, has a superior status. And Jesus Christ, relative to you and me, has a superior name, a superior honor, and a superior status. We're the whole realm of nature mine, that were a present far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. It's true, Lord. And even as we'd ask you to prevent us from worshiping Angels, please prevent us from worshiping ourselves. May we live with eternity's values in view. May we leave today mindful that we have opportunity after opportunity to live under the lordship of Jesus. Help us to do so with abandon, with willingness, with joy. Because our redeemed lives might be the only Bible that some lost people are reading at the moment. Thank you for the indwelling Holy Spirit who makes such living, consecration, and obedience possible. Lord, we love you. We want to acknowledge that in our thoughts, our words, and our deeds. And we pray this, Lord Jesus, in your excellent and superior name. Amen.